Hey, great to be together, church. Uh, beautiful day, beautiful smiling faces. So awesome to gather. Um, yeah, I don't take for granted like the church being together, especially after where we've been the last several years. Um, it's just fun to wake up. Like my kids, actually, I, when I grew up, I didn't really like going to church. I would pretend I was asleep for a while. Like maybe if I can, if I can make it difficult, maybe mom and dad like won't want to like muscle through and try to make us get out of bed. But man, what a cool thing to have a church that like I get up looking forward to coming. My kids get up and they are pumped to be here. I just love doing this. So thanks for doing it with us and making the church uh, real and here. So appreciate that. Just a couple things I want to remind you of uh, next Actually, not remind you, this is the first time you're hearing about this. I think uh, next Sunday, young adults, we're going to do wisdom lunch number two. We're doing them like every other month. So next week, we're going to gather right after church. We're going to have food for you and then have a a seasoned, mature couple who's just going to dispense some really cool wisdom. There'll be interaction and questions uh, that you bring, and we'll make it a cool interaction. But that's happening next Sunday um, right after church, and that is free. We provide the food. Just come and hang out. Also, at the same time, High school students, if you're in high school, we're going to have uh, the high school kids kind of gather together in the conference room with a different group of people hanging out together and uh, doing kind of something very similar. So young adults, high school, after church next week, just letting you know about that. And then also we've got a baptism Sunday coming up the Sunday after Easter. And so if you've never been baptized, uh, baptism is just a picture of what it means to be in Jesus, that we go into the grave, into the waters with him, and then cool news is that Jesus didn't stay there and we come out of the grave sin dealt with death defeated into a new life with him and and into the waters and out is a picture of that if you've never been baptized we'd love to talk to you about that we're gonna have a class um, about baptism uh, next Sunday after I think between the services actually so uh, information in the back Stacy's back there and if you want more information on baptism we will get you connected cool okay this is week number four of a series entitled Wealthy, where we're looking at ingredients that make up a wealthy life. And by that, I don't mean rich monetarily. I mean a wealthy, meaty, meaningful, full life. Okay, so this morning, uh, we've been through, uh, first ingredient was God, second ingredient, then God leads us into relationship with others. Third ingredient was this relationship as rulers and subduers of creation and all the cool things that come with that. Those are the first three ingredients to a wealthy life, and this week is ingredient number four. Are you guys excited to hear what ingredient number four is? This is the last one. Okay, ingredient number four is, actually, you got to wait five minutes. I'll tell you just a little bit. But we got to do some preamble stuff before we get there. Oh, last thing. How many ladies went to the ladies' retreat? Woo, yes. I... I talked to Megan for five seconds. I talked to Evie, my oldest daughter, for like 10 seconds. I heard it was great. All the ladies in the first service, I asked them, how was it? Just to make sure that Megan wasn't misleading me. Because Megan's like, oh, it was always so good. I just want to make sure if it's not good, I just want to know about it. But everybody said it was really good. So awesome. Ladies, thanks for making this weekend happen. Um, I really heard great things. Looking forward to hearing more about it. Okay, so preamble. In a couple minutes, I'll tell you what the fourth ingredient is. Okay, but let's get on the same page first. Um, You don't have to turn there, but in Genesis chapter 2 and in Revelation chapter 22, we see very similar, actually there's a lot of similarities between those two chapters. One is the Garden of Eden, uh, that's Genesis 2, and then Revelation 22 is the end of the story when the new Jerusalem comes down from heaven to a remade earth. And uh, one of the images that we see both in Eden and in the new Jerusalem is a river 
of water that is flowing from the place where God dwells and bringing life everywhere it goes. In Genesis 2, it's the river, and we, we've talked about this in the past, that Eden, Eden was not a garden in the sense that like Adam and Eve had like a 20 foot by 20 foot patch of ground and grew some carrots and tomatoes. That's not Eden. Eden was the first temple. It was the place where God was dwelling with his priests, Adam and Eve, and they were serving him and working in the garden and protecting it. And Eden was like a region. It was like a wider geography that I think than any of us imagine. But in Genesis chapter 2, and, and God is dwelling there with his people, the temple. But from the place where God dwells, this river was flowing that then divides out into four rivers. And then in Genesis 2, we learn that this river is bringing life to the Garden of Eden. It's making it fertile and it's bringing it life. Similar image in Revelation chapter 22, where from the throne of God, we are told that the river of life is flowing from the throne of God. And it's this massive river, and it's described as being crystal clear. Anybody ever been to the Florida Keys? Some of you have been to cooler places where the water is clearer. I love clear water. I love swimming in it. But the river of life is as clear as crystal. It flows from the throne of God, and the tree of life is receiving its nourishment from it. And like all of creation is receiving the life that flows from the river that is flowing from the throne of God. So whether we're in Genesis chapter 2, the rivers that divide out into four rivers that are feeding Eden with life, or the river of life from Revelation 22 that's feeding all of creation with life, here's what we know about both rivers and God's heart in between, where we are in the middle of both of those images, is that from God flows liberal and generous streams of living water. When I say liberal in Genesis, I mean think Niagara Falls, not your faucet that's like leaky. Leaky faucet means a little bit of life-giving water. Niagara Falls is like, oh boy, this is scary. That's a lot, okay? Liberally and generously, God is offering his water of life, his living water to all of us, okay? But, and then here's, um, here's the problem, as we learn it in Jeremiah chapter 2. Uh, In Jeremiah chapter 2, the context of what God is going to reveal to Jeremiah is this offer that God gives to all of us regarding this living water. And in Jeremiah chapter 2, God speaks to Jeremiah and says, Jeremiah, share this with my people. Here's what we read. Be appalled, Jeremiah 2 verse 12. This is God speaking. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Okay, something's coming up that's not good. It's so not good that God says it's appalling. Get ready to be appalled. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Okay, what we're going to read here is like, wow, this is not good. Be utterly desolate upon hearing what's about to happen, declares the Lord. Four, here's why. Here's why we should be appalled and shocked and desolate. Here's why. For my people have committed two evils. Very simple. One and two. One and two. Here's number one. Number one. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. So the first appalling, shocking evil is that God's people have been given this offer to drink freely of these raging rivers of life-giving waters that God offers us. Life with him. We've rejected that. We have forsaken the fountain of living waters. That's number one. Here's number two. And here's what we've done instead. 
we have hewed out or dug out cisterns for ourselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Okay, a, a cistern essentially is a storage tank. They didn't have polycarbonate plastic uh, back in the day when Jeremiah was writing. They would have dug down into the ground and they would have used the hole in the ground to store water. Well, if you've ever tried to build a pond or tried to build a cistern, you know that not all ponds hold water and not all cisterns do either. Sometimes they get leaky. And so the picture that Jeremiah is giving us here from God is that, and this is the appalling thing, God offers all of us the opportunity to take our vessels to the river of life and scoop in and drink deep. And when we're thirsty again, sorry, wrong one. And we take our vessel and we would like drink in. There's always living water in the river of life, always there for us. The appalling thing is we've said, God, no thank you. I don't want that. What I'd like to do, and then we go over here and we just labor, we toil and we strive and we dig out this pit in the ground where maybe some water trickles in, right? But this cistern actually has a hole in it. And so when we're thirsty, we go to the cistern and there's nothing there because it's broken. A broken cistern doesn't hold water. God's like, what in the world are you doing? Living water is offered, but you keep going to a broken cistern trying to sustain yourselves to receive living water, to receive life. And when we receive living water, what we're doing is receiving the wealth that God wants to pour out on us. So instead of, here's where we've been so far, instead of drinking in relationship with God, and then God leads us to relationship with others, which is also something that we should drink of because relationships with people is good, right? When God is in it and he's leading us into healthy relationships, they are life-giving, right? Instead of drinking of God in relationship with others, and then instead of also joining him in the life-giving work of ruling and subduing creation in the ways that he uniquely and magnificently made us to do, right? We set all of that aside we say no, and then we go and we dig a cistern of our choosing. Essentially, here's what that is, what specifically. A broken cistern is any time we take something that God has made, which is good, and in its right order. We take something that God has made, and we try to make that thing do for us what God never designed that thing to do for us. Here's what that looks like. It's, it's the young man. Doesn't have to be a young man. Could be an old single man. I don't know. But it's, it's the guy that says, God, I don't need you anymore because hot dog, I got a girlfriend. And she's going to satisfy me completely. She is going to fill me up. Girlfriends are good. When God is ordering your life, they're really, they can be a really cool thing. When you make your girlfriend or your boyfriend a cistern that you are expecting to give you complete satisfaction and total filling, you're asking your girlfriend to do for you what God never made that person to do for you. It's a broken cistern. Or say something like this, God, um, no thank you to you because I have found alcohol. And when I drink enough of it, it just makes me feel comforted, numbs all the pain. So God, I don't want you to comfort me. 
because I got alcohol. Now you're asking alcohol to do for you what it was never designed to do. It's like going to a broken cistern and trying to scoop up. It's not, there's nothing there. No living water for you there. We say, God, no thanks. I don't want your living water that I know brings a wealthy life when I receive it. No thanks because I got a credit card and I got my Amazon account. And there's stuff there. And I got Walmart and I got Target. And I got whatever store you like. There's so much stuff there that it's exciting to me. It's engaging. There's always a new trinket that somebody's putting out in the manufacturing process to put in front of me. And it's like the next thing, next thing, next thing. Jeremiah says, be shocked and be appalled. People have left the living waters of God to go and chase after a broken cistern of stuff materialism, right? It's an empty cistern. There's nothing there. It's not going to satisfy. It's not going to do it. Be appalled. Be shocked, right? We leave God and we say, food's going to do it. We leave God and we say, money's going to do it. Hot dog. Let's get rich. That's going to satisfy me. We say, no, God, no thank you to you. Um, What I'm going to do is spend my life accomplishing things. And when I become somebody, That's when I'm going to be satisfied and filled. What Jeremiah says is broken cistern, broken cistern, broken cistern. No matter how many times you go there, no matter what new thing you try to make do for you, what God never made it to do, you're always going to come up empty. It's not going to do what we think it will do. So what we have this morning, we're going to call it a broken cistern problem. And the broken cistern problem is solved very easily. And what we have to do is just recognize where the broken cisterns are that we go and say, no, thank you very much, God. I know that that's not where my satisfaction in life comes from. I'm going to come to you because you are the fountain of living waters and I receive from you. And then you will lead me into relationships with people that will be good. Girlfriend will become a lot better for you when it's in the context of receiving from God and letting him order that relationship, okay? And God, God, and then other people, and then God from there leads us into magnificent things to do in this world that is so, he called it very good in the beginning, things that he made us to do. So here's the picture. Um, God and his design. Is always pouring out the river of life. Himself, others, creation. Himself, others, creation. Himself, others, creation. In Niagara Falls fashion. And at some point in the filling process, I don't know where it is for each of us here, but at some point we hit the line and we say, wealthy, wealthy life. Oh, I've learned to be content in all circumstances. God, because you're good and because you give me relationships and I have stuff to do that I love to do. God, oh, wealthy, wealthy life. That, that's what God loves to do. He is the fountain of pouring good things into us. And at some point when we get enough, it's like wealthy. But then he keeps pouring, keeps pouring. Exceedingly and abundantly, he keeps pouring. Again, we're not talking money here, wealthy. That's not what we're talking about. If you've been here, you know that. This is a wealthy living Okay, so that's God's design. Now, here's what I want to say. I'm going to introduce you to the fourth ingredient in a wealthy life. And here's what I have to say, and you might start throwing stones at me. You ready? The first three ingredients are not enough. God can't lead you into a wealthy life. 
No amount of relationships that he gives you will lead you to a wealthy life. Even if you find your dream job doing in this world what you love to do, you have all those three things. God, others, and creation will not give you a wealthy life. You ever heard somebody in church say God's not enough? You know what they do to people that say that? They stone them. Or they fire them. Like, run the pastor out. I can't believe he said that. God's not enough. Well, here's the fourth ingredient. I think it will make sense in a second. The fourth ingredient in a wealthy life is, you ready for it? It's you. Uh, But more specifically, not just you, it is a healthy, healed, and growing holy you. Me. Why are you so important in this equation? Well, let's just go back to the picture. God does what he does. He's the fountain of living waters in the beginning. He's the fountain in the end. He tells the woman at the well, I'm living water. He's always living water, which means he's always pouring. He's pouring out himself, and he's pouring out relationships, and he's leading us into really cool things to do. He is always pouring out. But if we are broken vessels, if we are holy, not in the good holy, um, holesy, we got holes all up in us, If we are holesy, it doesn't matter what he pours in because it's going to leak down below the line of wealth, wherever the line is. If we got enough holes, whatever God pours in, it's gone. And unfortunately, let's say we got 120 souls in here this morning. The truth is, we got 120 holy people. I'm one of them, chief, chief among the holy, negative, holy people. Mark chapter 14. Take a look at Judas. Judas is so easy to pick on. But I think um, Judas and his betrayal has become so normal and so common that, like Jeremiah says, be shocked be appalled. Here's what my people have done. We're not shocked and appalled when we read about what Judas is doing, but let's, let's read what Judas did, and then let's put it in context of where we're at in this series for just a second. Mark 14, verse 10. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray them. Not just betraying Jesus. He's like betraying all y'all, everybody. Jesus, the disciples, the whole movement. Judas is betraying everything. Verse 11. When they, the religious leaders, heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he, Judas, sought an opportunity to betray him. Okay, this is Judas betraying them and Jesus um, in a a certain time and a certain place. Here's where Judas has been for the last two to three years. Judas has been in incredible close proximity to the fountain of living water. He's been walking with God himself. Okay? Like, I, I don't know if you ever read the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. It is, uh, it is striking, and it is beautiful, and it is deeply challenging. 
And that's just reading it with my internal Brian reading voice. Could you imagine hearing the Sermon on the Mount from the voice of God in live time on a hillside? Like, wow. I don't know what kind of TED Talks you like or like who your favorite Christian speaker is. Like, pretty good, right? But hearing Jesus, who is God himself, delivering the greatest sermon ever delivered, Judas was there. And that's like, I don't know. That's a, that's a pouring in. Like, woo! Jesus is speaking words of life. Judas is right there. And then in, in addition to that, he is... Um, He's walking into the temple with Jesus. And Jesus doesn't walk in as like a normal person who would walk into the temple. Jesus walks in as if it's his house. Because it is. He's God in the flesh and the temple was built for him. It's the place where God and man intersect. It's Eden. That's the new Jerusalem in the end of things. And the temple was supposed to be the place where God meets his people. Jesus walks into his house and starts flipping tables over. And Judas is right there. He's seeing it. He's witnessing God in the flesh doing some housekeeping. That'll make an impression on somebody. That's a, that's a poor right there. Being in that proximity to God and what he's doing. He sees Jesus healing and delivering people. The hand of God is touching broken people. And it is a beautiful, beautiful, restorative thing. Right? Whatever God is doing, Judas is seeing it all the time as he is walking with and living life with him. Jesus, God in the flesh. That's a pour-in right there. That's some fountains of living water coming into a vessel. Judas is right there. But that, right? Second ingredient, people. God leads us into relationship with people. So Jesus is forming a discipleship community. I don't know if you've ever been a part of a team or a class or like a play or a something that was led by someone who was really good at creating community. And like, you're like, wow, I love these people. Like they facilitated experiences to bond you and to yoke you together. Jesus is facilitating the networking and the yoking and the family dynamic of this group of people. Twelve guys, there's some women who are traveling around with them too. Like you talk about meaty relationships. I think Jesus is good at leading us into that. Judas is right there, front and center. He's a part of it. So you talk about a pouring in of Right? Real relationships, Judas is getting all he can handle. Right? And regarding people, I love this in the Gospels when Jesus sends his disciples out two by two. Right? And so I don't know who Judas' partner was, but Judas and his disciple buddy, they go out into the countryside and they're given in that season uniquely the authority of Jesus to cast out demons, to heal people, and to do all kinds of incredible things. And Judas is doing this with another guy. And they're like healing people and delivering people. And Judas is like, what? And his buddy's like, what? They're like high-fiving each other. And then anytime you've ever been a part of like blessing somebody, we talked about this in week one. Anytime we pour out to people, we get tenfold back. So you heal somebody, you deliver somebody, you experience that. Like the relational love from people that comes back to you is overwhelming. And it is good. And Judas is experiencing all of this in relationship with people. He's getting all of it. 
And then even just like in creation itself, our relationship with creation. Jesus is always out there in the highways and byways, on the seas, by the seaside. He's always like out in really cool places, in rugged circumstances with these guys. Really cool. He's getting to partake of all of this. He gets to see Jesus take five loaves and two fish and do a creational miracle and feed over 5,000 people. That's like, wow, that's impressive. Really cool. I get to see that happen. You don't see that every day. That'll fill you up. At the end of the day, you'll be full for having witnessed that very creational miracle. Judas gets it. He gets to see Jesus walking on water. Like, wow, that's a sight you don't see every day. Like, Niagara Falls is there if you want to take a trip. Grand Canyon's there if you want to take a trip. I, my guess is, if somebody in Columbus right now were walking on water, and we could pay $5 to go see it, we'd go see it, because that would be amazing. Judas watches Jesus walk on water. He watches Jesus say, shh, to a storm, and the storm goes, shh. Judas is getting some big-time fills in every way that God made people to get filled. Getting all of it. And yet, with the constant pouring in, pouring in, pouring in, he is leaking out, leaking out, leaking out. He never gets to the place of being wealthy. He's always, always, always empty. Be shocked and be appalled at this, declares the Lord. And then after he's not getting enough from Jesus and not getting enough from the discipleship community and clearly hasn't seen enough creational miracles to satisfy him, then he says, well, that's not doing it for me. So then he betrays them and Jesus. And then he says, well, I know, let's pour in 30 pieces of silver and let's see what that does. Eh, it does the same thing that everything else that was poured into you does. It leaks out. And then Judas ultimately takes his own life. Because when you're that poor and you got no help, hope for anything, what else are you going to do? Ends it. If a person is holy, not in the way that the Bible usually talks about it, but in the way that we're talking about it. If a person is filled with holes... No matter what you pour in, it doesn't stay. Poverty is the result. So what kind of vessel we are makes all the difference in the world regarding whether we live a poor life, a middle-class life, or an obscenely wealthy life in all that God has made us for. And if we're honest, doesn't it seem like for us it depends on the day sometimes? Like sometimes don't we feel like, hey, we're, we're, we're a whole vessel today and it's going great. We're feeling good. And sometimes we wake up, we're like, I don't know what's wrong, but I got gushing holes all over the place. And sometimes it, it's just, it just is dependent on some things, isn't it? Um, I, in my own life, I can tell when I got some holes in me. And um, typically what it manifests in is um, at home, like I just get short with, with people in my family. I probably won't get short with you. Unless there's like really a bunch of holes, then watch out. But like with my family in the place where I'm comfortable and I'm safe, like I get short and like I'm easily irritated. Like I can feel it when I've got like more holes in my vessel and I'm leaking. God's pouring, it doesn't matter. It's just leaking out. Something's going on. I don't know. 
And actually, I've been working with people for so long that I've gotten to the place where I can, I can interact with somebody for 10 seconds and I can tell. I can tell how you're doing just by interacting with you, not to weird you out. But I'm always assessing where, where you are. I'm just kidding. That's weird, right? But like when you interact with somebody, you can just kind of tell. And the one thing that you can't ever do is say to somebody who's not doing well, you can't say, uh, it seems to me like you got a bunch of holes in you right now. You can't say that because they never respond to that well, okay? Um, try that with your spouse sometime when you recognize they're leaking. Say, you're just leaking all over the place. Don't do it. Just pray for them. Lay hands, no, don't lay hands on, just pray from a distance. But if a vessel has holes, it is draining wealth and it leads to a poverty of life. All right, let me um, let's talk about us, like we as the fourth ingredient in a wealthy life. I want to illustrate this. Um, and tease a couple things out. There's a, one of my f- favorite people in the world that I don't know. It's always dangerous because sometimes you, you, think, you, know, you don't know what you don't know, but I think he really is like the genuine guy. His name's Joel Salatin. He's a farmer in Virginia. Anybody else is one of your favorite pers- people, a farmer? You got some other farmer lovers here, right? Farmer in Virginia. I, was listen- I, I listen to him quite a bit because he, uh, he's an incredibly innovative ruler of creation. He farms in a way that most people don't, but I, I think more of us should beautiful. The interaction between people and creation. He loves Jesus and he loves people. He's just a great guy. Uh, but I was listening to a podcast a week, week and a half, two weeks ago, and he was getting interviewed and someone talked about, um, asked him the question. They said, Joel, take us back to like your origin story. Because Joel's like a super well-known, highly influential farmer. I'll talk more about that in a second. But um, he's getting interviewed. And she wanted to know like, where did all this come from? How did, how did you get to the place where you became this wealthy guy? She didn't use that language, but that was the idea. And Joel started, and he said, well, here, here's what it goes back to. He says, uh, back in junior high, middle school, I tried out, I, I'm not him, but you get it, right? I, Joel, I, I tried out for the basketball team, and I got cut. And yeah, middle school, anytime you get cut or somebody looks at you weird, it's like life's over, right? But he got cut from the basketball team, which hurts. It didn't hurt any of us. But he said, at that point, um, he said, like, he just, like, asked God, like, what, God, what did you make me to do? Because you don't make trash. Um, and not good enough for the team, but what did you make me to do? And then he started looking around and said, oh, there's a speech and debate team here. I'll, I'll sign up for that. So he signs up for the speech and debate team. And then every day, like, he's, he's learning how to communicate verbally with his oral words. And then in debate, there's, like, him on one side with an idea and somebody else on the other side. And you have a war of words where you hear what the other person is saying and then you have to, like, Take them to task and point out where they're wrong and why you're right. And it's a really cool environment to learn how to become a communicator and a thinker. A thinker and a communicator, junior high, he's not playing basketball. He's not learning how to drain the three or hit the bounce pass. He's learning how to speak. And then shortly thereafter, early high school, then he, uh, he had some time on his hands because he's not playing basketball. And so he becomes a writer for the local newspaper. He becomes the obituary writer for the local newspaper. Now he's not just learning how to talk with his mouth. He's learning how to talk with his words. And as he's doing that, he's working with his dad on the 500-acre farm that they own. Really cool work. He loves doing that work. 
And his father is a pretty entrepreneurial, innovative kind of guy, as Joel is too. And so he learns how to become a different kind of farmer. And then on the shoulders of his dad, he starts doing more. So he's not playing basketball, but he's farming, he's writing, and he's learning how to speak. And you multiply that forward, he's in his like 70s right now. And what he has done for his whole life is he has farmed in really cool ways that bring life to all the things that God says in creation are good that life should be brought to. He's farming in a great way. He's been farming for decades. He's been writing about how he does it for decades. Multiple books, multiple articles are out there. Michael Pollan, Omnivore's Dilemma. It's how I got introduced to him. Read Omnivore's Dilemma. Great, just fun read. But that's where I got introduced to him. Anyway, he's been farming for decades, writing for decades, and speaking conferences all over the place for decades. And he's really good at all three of those things. And he has become, and I'm the keeper of this list, he has become the most influential regenerative farmer on the planet. Now, I don't know if you're the best at anything in the world. It's pretty impressive. I know I am not. But Joel Salatin is. And it is so fun to watch him. Remember we talked about Joseph last week in Egypt? Joseph is killing it riding second chariot. Everything he touches is like, wow, this guy is on it. That's Joel Salatin. Proverbs 31 woman, like she is in charge. She's got things happening, hustle and bustle. She's got all these things going on and she's the master of all of it. Beautiful thing to see. She's living a wealthy life. That's Joel Salatin right now in his early 70s. Now, here's the thing. I would love to go back and just If we could hypothesize if some things shifted early on in his story, would he be where he is today, living a wealthy life, loving Jesus and being loved by Jesus? Great family, great friendships, great church he's a part of, influential in the world of people and farmers and even just thinkers. Now, he's beyond farming now. He's influencing thought. He's got articles in the New Yorker. Anyway, would he be here? Wealthy living in his 70s, if, let's go back to middle school, and let's change his vessel for a second. Go back to middle school, and he gets cut from the basketball team. And what if this were his response? I am such a loser. I'm a nobody. I'm a nothing. I'm a failure. I always have been, and basketball just proved it. He's even from a small town. It's not like there's like 50 guys going out for the team, right? He could feel bad. He could feel like a loser. He could attack himself. Those are some I am statements, are they not? I am, Jesus makes I am statements, and they're always true. Oftentimes, we make I am statements, and they're not. It's very dangerous because it starts to do some things to our vessel, okay? I'm a loser. I'm a nobody. Or how about this? God? How dare you make me like this? These hands don't shoot. I can't dribble. I don't see the court like these guys do. You messed up when you made me. How dare you treat me like that? That's an interesting relationship with God dynamic right there. I've been there. Anybody been there? Or how about this? Another response. I'm a loser. I'm a nobody. God, how dare you do this to me? Here's, Here's another response. Got cut from the team. You know why? Because the coach is an idiot. 
doesn't understand the game. He's got no eye for talent. Are you kidding me? Who is this coach? You know what we should do? We should get this guy fired to get ourselves a real coach in here who really knows talent, who can really lead this team to victory, right? Let's get the coach out of here. That'll, you can put your energy into that. You could get some people rallied to do that. It's what a broken vessel will do. You do it all the time. Praise the Lord that Joel did not respond to those circumstances in that way that would have led him to abject poverty over decades had he continued to be that kind of whole-filled vessel. But instead, he was a healthy, healed, and whole vessel. And he said, God, I got cut from the basketball team, but I know you don't make trash. I know you put magnificent things in me, so let's go find out what they are. Speech and debate, writing for the paper. Let's farm. Let's do this. It's a different I am statement. You don't make trash. You don't make nobodies and losers. That's not who I am. God, you close this door, but that means that you're opening something else, right? Eyes of faith and hope and anticipation. What do you have for me? It's a different response. It's a different vessel. Same circumstances, different vessel. And over time, one leads to poverty, one leads to wealth. And now, as I said, early 70s, one of the most wealthy men on the planet. And I'm not talking money. Although I think he's doing quite well financially. I think he is. But we're talking quality of life here regarding all the things that God has made us to walk in. So let's just state the truth this morning. We are a community of holy vessels. In the negative sense, God's pouring in, eager to pour in his life, giving waters, and we're leaking out. What do we do about that? How do we solve that problem? And I've got a solution for us this morning. If you're ready to receive doctor's orders, are you ready? You can solve this problem right now regarding the vessels we are that are broken and leaking. Here's the solution. It's quick, it's simple. Don't you love it when I give quick and simple and easy answers? It's always more complicated, but here's where we start. Psalm 51, verse 17. We all recognize we're broken. Here we go. Psalm 51, 17. The sacrifices of God are a, here we go, a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. I can't fix myself, and you can't fix you either. All we have to do is just recognize, oh God, I am, I am sometimes just a mess. I'm regularly more of a mess than I think I am. Humble, contrite, lowly. Right? And then, um, right, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Poor, not the haughty, not the prideful. I know everything, I got it all together. No, blessed are the poor, the humble, the contrite in heart, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for what? For they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, the meek, the contrite, lowly ones. What about the meek? They're going to inherit the earth. Right? We just posture ourselves before God. In our leakiness, here's what we do. 
You just declare the truth. God, I need you. I am broken. I am broken and I, we need you. And we just go low before him. We humble ourselves. We go contrite and broken before him. And then here's the cool thing that the psalm makes very clear. That any time a human being, I don't care how many holes you have in you, Anytime a person postures their heart before the Lord like this, he can't refuse you. It is like an irresistible draw. It is like a moth can't resist a flame. It is like a magnet that just pulls him in. Close. Intimate. And then he meets us here. And we've talked about this. What does he do in our brokenness, in our humility, in our contrition before him, what does he do? Well, first, he puts his hand on us, and then he wraps his arms around us, and he says, I love you, I am here, I am with you, I am for you. And then what he does from there is he covers us. What happens to a vessel that is laden with holes that gets a covering on the outside of it? That starts to plug some of those holes, doesn't it? It doesn't just cover us in the blood of Jesus, this beautiful covering that he provides, but then his spirit gets even closer and more intimate and invades our very soul into the deep places, and he meets us there, and he ministers there, and he heals there, and he binds up the broken heart, and he takes the wounds, and he puts salve on it, and he brings healing, and then we heal from the inside out and we're covered already but he heals us from the inside out and then he right he lifts us up he says come on now we got places to go and we got people to meet and we got people to meet and we got places to go and things to do follow me and we go with him and he wraps he puts his arm around us the paraclete the spirit of god walks alongside us into all of this And he walks us into wealth. The only difference is that now, as he pours, it's actually filling. And it's staying. And it's staying. And it's filling. And at some point, we get to the place where we say, like Paul, I've learned to be content in all circumstances because I am full. God, because you were good and I'm with people that I love. And I'm doing things you made me to do. Maybe my bank account's empty, but it doesn't matter because I'm wealthy. That's what he leads us into. When he pours, we want to be able to fill. The vessel matters. And if we allow him to speak healing over us and in us and to cover us, wealth is ours because the stream of living water is always pouring. The invitation that he gives. Band, come on back up. We're going to leave this here and sing just a little bit more. Let me pray for us. Father, forgive us uh, first for going to broken cisterns where there is no living water. Father, also forgive us for getting mad at you and people and circumstances 
when really, God, we're empty because we're laden with holes and we leak and we're afraid to declare the truth because we'd rather you or someone or something else be the problem rather than us. Father, I pray that you would give us the courage to fall on our face before you, that our hearts would be humble and reverent before you as the needy ones, as the leaky ones. And Father, in that place, we know that you will do what you do, that you will bend low, that you will meet us in our lowly place. You'll whisper words of affirmation over us and that you will wrap your arms around us and that you remind us of the covering that is ours in Jesus and your spirit just gets to work in deeper places because we've opened the door for you to meet us in those places in our humility and in our contrition. Father, you are good. You're so good. And we want to receive all and we want to be able to retain it. So would you make us whole and healed and holy in the right sense vessels. So that our lives might declare your glory and so that we might live full and alive the way that you've designed us and intend for us to live.